Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast, uh, well, at the moment, day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Mark Cape Horn, owner and managing director of Theme Group. Theme Group is a marketing agency which specializes in developing brands, marketing campaigns, and online collateral. Mark, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Uh, the person, I would say, at the head of the company that uh, is, if you like, the captain of the ship, uh, steers it through ups and downs that businesses can obviously go through. Um, I guess someone who the staff and uh, and clients look up to and, and respect. And how do you foster that uh, climate of respect and uh, being uh, admired? Um, I think it's a question. We're a small business, 10 10, 10 staff, um, and we're a service industry. Although we produce a design at the end of a at the end of a uh, you know a a job, a project. Uh, So staff are very important to us. We haven't got a widget that we can buy for two p and sell for ten p. It's it's a service industry. Uh, So therefore, I think giving staff quite a bit of ownership, which is probably very important in a design environment. Um, and I think, you know, letting them nurture and let them, them survive, but, but keeping them informed of what's going on as a business. You know, we, we have our weekly meeting and everybody knows what's happening. And then if things are, you know, do get a bit sticky, then we have that conversation around how can we generate more business? Uh, anybody got any ideas of how we can move the company forward? It's just, I, I like to give staff a lot of ownership. Obviously, ultimately, it's my decision. Um, but let them run with it. And providing you've got the right people around you, I think um, that just you know leads for a successful business. So it's very important to foster a collaborative environment. Yes, very important. And uh, and always listen. You know, I often describe the staff and uh, as the kids are never wanted because they you know <laughs> they they all have problems, they all have uh, issues at home and everything. And you know, when you are a small company, it is a family. You know. You, you feel their pain if they're in pain. You feel their adulation with uh, you know if someone's getting married or celebrating a birthday or whatever you know. And it's it's uh, just important. A door open policy is is what I certainly believe in. And um, you know, and it's not always about. I've learned over the years. It's not always about how much money you pay them. It's creating a nice environment for them to work in. I mean, obviously, money is very important. That's why we all go to work, and I get mm-hmm. that. However. Given them, uh, you know, we're lucky enough we work from an old chapel, uh, so it's a beautiful environment from a creative point of view. But also just the little things, you know, that they can have this crisps, sweets and everything. You know, just, just create a nice environment for them to actually, you know, there's nothing worse than getting up on a Monday morning and thinking, have I really got to go to work? What you want them is to say, I can't wait to get to work. And that's, that's what you've got to achieve. Now, you uh, brought up an interesting point uh, a little bit earlier about uh – managing a, a small team and how tight-knit you need to be. Now, mm-hmm. of course, there is the phrase that familiarity breeds contempt. How do you avoid that in that close-quarters situation? I think uh, if if there's an issue, uh, from my point of view, that I can recognize as an issue within the team, um, is to jump on that immediately, not let it foster, fester and, and 
can manifest over a period of time. If you've got an issue with something, and again, the open door policy goes both ways. I I can have talk to them and they can talk to me. Um, and I think, in my experience, people respect you more if you will be quite frank with them and tell them what, where the issues are rather than letting it and letting it go. And also, other staff notice, you know, if, if someone's not doing their job properly in a small environment, they notice they're not doing their job properly. And if I don't jump on that immediately, then that is going to be an issue. Um, and obviously, other people can then pick up on that um, as in, oh, well, they're doing it, I'll do it. Um, so I think it's it's nipping it in the bud as soon as you can and, and, and keeping on top of it. Would you say that a small team requires more supervision than a larger one? Uh, probably. Uh, having um, We got up to 18 staff at one point, um, and then now, now we're back down to 10. I... Having never had 100, 150 staff, I don't know. And But I think my, my brother's got a business that they employ 100 people. But once you get to that point, um, you then have got HR departments involved in other people and right. sub-managers and all of that. So I guess, um, you know, I'm not saying it's easier the bigger you are because clearly it isn't because you've got more staff to, you know, more of the kids you never wanted to look after. It's just but, a very different challenge. I think it is, but having never been in that, that position, it's very difficult for me to say. I just know from my experience of small teams, um, you know, um, and how we how we manage. Well, it's actually very interesting to hear that you're uh, that you mentioned that your brother also um, uh, runs a runs an organisation. Now, uh, looking back on your life and, and your brother's life, was there a figure in both of your lives that inspired you to go out and become leaders? Uh, probably our father, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, both, we both inherited his, um, you know, my, my dad worked his way up to be, um, managing a, a director, sales director of Corona soft drinks. If you remember the um, mm-hmm. soft drinks company. Um, and he got up to that. But I always remember hearing somebody say that as he walked around his office, even the clean, he says, even says hello to the cleaner, you know, and I think that's important as well to recognize that every person in your business is doing a role and they're doing that role for a reason. And don't think because they're just doing cleaning, uh, not that I'm saying that's a menial, you know, a menial task. Um, just always make yourself open to everybody and just, you know, it motivates people. It just, mm-hmm. and I think that's, you know, I, I think, think from my the- point of I think that's also cool. key. That's something I hear um, quite a bit uh, from people in your position that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts and there's no yes. uh, lesser jobs. There's just different ones. Absolutely. And I, I'm a hundred percent believe that, you know, and in fact, I probably would, you know, we've, we've got clients um, in the holiday industry and I've been going around there be it a hotel or a, um, a caravan park and the guy stacking the shelf, even though I'm there as the design agency, I always make a point of saying hello to everybody, you know, and I'm in a suit, so they recognize, oh, this person's from head office or whatever. And it's quite noticeable that sometimes the people I'm with, i.e. from that company, don't engage with those people. Mm. And I and I find that quite quite sad sometimes. I think, you know what, we're all doing a job, and let's, uh, if you want to do, build that team environment, everybody's got to be inclusive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, our time is starting to run rather short, but I'd like to ask you before uh, we wrap things up, if you had to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Uh, a leader 
I would say uh, Nelson Mandela, probably. And what is it about Nelson Mandela's leadership style that appeals to you in particular? I just think what he overcame, um, you know, all right, the prison thing's one thing, but then to bounce back and still uh, take a whole country on a journey that he took them on uh, with apartheid and everything like that, I think was inspirational. I also think Gorbachev, uh, the Russian leader, never got enough praise mm-hmm. for what he did with the Cold War. I think he was inspirational as well. Um, well, the interesting uh, thing with Gorbachev is, uh, unlike Soviet leaders before him, he actually admitted that the balloon had gone up on the whole uh, communist experiment. Yeah. Um, and uh, as as much as uh, Reagan and Thatcher's policies were uh, uh, to be credited with uh, defeating uh, the Soviet Union in the Cold War, uh, without uh, a figure like Gorbachev uh, to say, all right, uh, that's the end of this, uh, it could have ended up in a rather nasty conflict. Oh, yeah. Yeah, completely. And that's what I mean. And, you know, there are people you you need to look up to and go, well, he stood by his convictions and followed it through to, you know, to, let's be fair, for a while, peace in the world, uh, you know, Absolutely. as far as the Americans and the Russians were concerned. So, you know, I think that's, uh, again, yeah, them too, you know, probably. Now, before I let you go, um, what does the next 12 months have in store for Theme Group? Uh, hopefully, uh, more promising times ahead. Uh, um, now I don't want to use it, but I'll have to. The Brexit word is sort of, uh, we're, we're moving ahead now with that. We've already know it's a big change. Yes, last year was quite tough. People were putting projects on hold, you know, a new website they were going. We'll put that on hold until we know what's happening. Um, so it affected our, our business and I've spoken to other, uh, owners of design agencies and we were all in the same boat, but now, um, the doors are opening again and people are going, right, okay, we, mm-hmm. we now know what we're doing and we, we can crack on. So hopefully, you know, promising. The, look, the, the, the outlook looks quite good this year. So I'm, I'm fairly optimistic, sir. So that's fantastic. We have to have you on uh, later in the year to hear more about your plans. And uh, I do appreciate uh, you coming on the show today, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. No, thank you for your time. Thank you, Mark. That was Mark Capehorn, owner and managing director of Theme Group. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex, first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, 
whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and of course uh, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey so to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career of course and, and then your life and that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham uh, with, with a manager like uh, Ron uh, there it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looking upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? 
Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at a time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know, in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second, I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially, 
Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, me laugh if you, that day. 
if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you? as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to... Uh, Acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's have a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even. Uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing Teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. 
I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I'd... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, 
and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.